Welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations and book recommendation episodes, as well as insider information on all of the newest releases that I personally endorse and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations or to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. Have you read a book recently that really resonated with you and makes you want to read a book more like it? If so, submit a read-alike request to me through my Google form located in today's show notes and tell me why you loved it, and I will suggest some similar reads on a future Tuesday episode. If you are interested in reading some great books before they publish, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon group to access additional content, including early reads and pre-pub author chats and bonus episodes. I just added Banyan Moon by Tao Tai for May and The Bones of the Story by Carol Goodman for June. The link to join is in the show notes. Today, I am chatting with Lauren Thoman about All Stop the World. Lauren lives outside Nashville, Tennessee with her husband, two children, and a rotating number of dogs and fish. Her pop culture writing has appeared in numerous online outlets, including Parade, Vulture, and Collider. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now for a quick break. For the last year, I have been focusing more on my health and my eating habits. In connection with that, I have started drinking AG1 in the morning. I first gave AG1 a try because I needed more energy. Since drinking AG1 daily, I have definitely felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water, once a day, every day. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it is safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and I am really happy to have them sponsoring my show. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. That's drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. Check it out. Welcome, Lauren. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great as well, and I'm really looking forward to talking about All Stop the World. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start out with you giving me a quick synopsis for those that won't have read it yet. All Stop the World is a multi-point of view, coming-of-age mystery about a modern teen who one day finds himself inexplicably transported back to the year 1985, where he teams up with an 80s teenager to solve the cold case of his grandparents' mysterious deaths one week before it happens. What a fun premise. And I was so curious as I was reading it, how you came up with the time travel idea and solving a murder, all of it put together. So what was that like? The time travel came first. I have always loved time travel stories. I think they're so full of possibility because they can basically happen within any genre. So I knew I wanted to write a time travel story. One of my favorite time travel, one of my favorite time travel movies is Back to the Future, of course. And I started, I was watching Back to the Future and I was thinking, wow, it's really handy for Marty in traveling back to, in traveling back to 1955, that he just happens to have 
this contact who's a scientist studying time travel and building a time machine and knows exactly what he has to do in order to get back. And I was thinking, what would the story look like if he didn't have that resource, if he was just a teenager flung into this other time period and had no idea what he was supposed to do there? And so from there, I started playing with, okay, I've got this teenager. I didn't want him to be equipped for this situation in any way. And so the character of Justin, who's my time traveling protagonist, came to me fairly quickly. And then I just started putting him in different scenarios and, you know, different time periods and thinking through like, what makes sense? What's interesting? And fairly early on, I realized that even if he doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing there, he has to have some sort of idea. Otherwise, it's extremely boring. And so I was like, well, what if there was this tragedy that happened in his family's past that no one actually knows why it happened or the circumstances surrounding it? And he gets it in his head that maybe if he can prevent this tragedy from happening, maybe that's why he's there. And then maybe that will fix this time travel problem that he's having and get him back to his own time. And I also was thinking about, you know, the role that family plays in our lives. And what if there were these people in his past that he never met these, you know, these grandparents, and they were, they were killed when his mother was very, very young. And so she was not raised by her parents, and all the ripple effects that would have throughout time on his life as he knows it. And so just sort of those pieces of thinking about family and the effects that we have on one another and also like trying to introduce that that drive for him to actually do something even if he's never sure that's what he's supposed to be doing um it all kind of came together into this mystery i've always been so intrigued as you have been with time travel any story that involves that appeals to me or at least to try to read it it's just such an interesting concept for some of the reasons that you just mentioned one to see different time periods you know places times that I didn't live, but also to see people that I would have loved to have seen when they were young, what their lives were like. I mean, there's just so many possibilities. Did you spend a lot of time trying to decide how the time travel would work? Yes and no. I have watched and read so many time travel stories that I knew that I didn't want to get super scientific with it because I am not like an astrophysicist. And that's not what interests me about those stories. And I knew I didn't want it to be something I'd seen before. So I didn't want, like, I didn't want to try to reinvent the wheel. Like we have Back to the Future, you know, we have all of these wonderful time travel stories that I was like, well, I don't want to do my take on something that's already been done. So not saying that I did something that no one has ever conceived anything close to it before, but I was just thinking like, what interests me? about these types of stories. And it's not, it's not really about how it happens. It's more about why it happens and what the characters do once they're in these situations. So one of my big pet peeves with time travel stories is I will take almost any sort of explanation for the time travel that anything is willing to give me as long as it stays consistent within itself. So I just knew that whatever I came up with, I just had, I had to understand it in my own brain. And it had to make sense, even if I wasn't going to get really scientific with it. So it's not sci-fi because I think sci- sci-fi really has to have science. And mine's more of a, a philosophical time travel almost. So it's sort of by figuring out 
what I liked in other time travel stories and just pulling on what interests me about this as a concept. It it developed pretty organically in my brain. And the trick was then trying to get it to come across to readers. And I think you're right. The simpler, the better, unless you're wanting something more scientific. But what I think is always so interesting is like what that person does when they first get there and they realize they're somewhere else. And how do you go forward and how do you adapt? And then obviously, as you mentioned too, why they're there. Yes. Yes. And there were so many versions of this book where I had him do differing things when he got there and to where I eventually landed on kind of where the my second protagonist of Rose comes into play is when I realized I said he has to meet someone right away that's going to be on this journey with him because every version I had with him just wandering around different time periods alone having no idea what he was doing got incredibly bogged down very quickly but as soon as I introduced the idea of maybe there's someone he meets that's contemporary to that time period that for whatever reason believes him, like then there's someone to play off of and they can explore this predicament together. And be a guide for him. So he isn't just wandering endlessly around the time period. Yes. Because at first I thought, oh, logistics are interesting. And I don't know why I thought that. I was like, how will he get food? How will he find shelter? How will he? And then I started writing logistics and I said, no, these are actually incredibly not interesting. And so, yeah, there's a lot of deleted scenes for this book that are not fun because it's just him trying to figure out how to hit, like fill in that bottom level of Maslow's pyramid of how do I meet my basic human needs? But by introducing another character, I could get through that relatively quickly and get to the actual like meat of the story. That makes sense. And setting it in the 1980s is such an iconic time period with very recognizable things. So that must have been fun to create that setting as well. It was. I mean, I was born in 1980. So I was alive in the 80s. I was younger than my characters are. But I still remember a lot of it and like a lot of how life worked and trying to think in terms of, you know, I have two teenagers of my own now and thinking like, what would they do if they were flung back into when I grew up? And they didn't have all these resources they're used to having, you know, they didn't come even the way you communicated with friends wasn't the same, the way you made friends wasn't the same as, as it is now. And so I thought that it would be really interesting to see a modern teenager, try to navigate the way that it used to be for me and for, you know, people of my generation that we just, we never thought it was strange. We took it for granted, because that's all that we all that we had. But now I think it would be very, very odd to be like, okay, there is no internet. Okay, you share a phone with your whole family. Like these things are, would just blow their minds now. You share a phone with your whole family that's attached in your home and it doesn't go anywhere. Right. And you, you have to like, if you want privacy, you like shut yourself in a closet. Exactly. So you can't take your phone and just look up what's happening, try to figure out where to go, where things are. So yes, it does provide a lot of fodder to write about. Yes. And also him trying to explain some stuff to a teenager in the 80s. Like She's like, okay, you call it a phone, but it's really a computer because in the 80s, computers were these giant things that took up so much space. And it's like, and, and, but it's a phone and it's I, like, that doesn't make sense. Yes. And it's so mind boggling, I'm sure for somebody in the 80s. And those are the aspects of time travel that I do enjoy that juxtaposition of the different time periods and what it's like to try to explain that to someone. And so I I really enjoyed that. Yes. Well, your book is under the new Mindy Kaling imprint, Mindy's Book Studio. So how has that been? 
I mean, this is my debut, so it's been great, but also I have no frame of reference. I have nothing to compare it to. So the the strangest things for me so far was the initial phone call with my agent where she said, Mindy Kaling's imprint wants to pick up this book and and mentioned in the course of that call that Mindy had read it and she had some thoughts. And for some reason, even though I knew we were sending it to them, it had not occurred to me that Mindy was going to read my book. I thought, you know, oh, she'll hire editors and they'll read and like she wouldn't read, but of course she does. It's her imprint. (laughs) But otherwise, I mean, from what I gather from my other friends who are traditionally published, my timeline has been relatively fast, but I, I am not by nature a very patient person anyway. So I haven't really minded the abbreviated timeline of the whole process, but, you know, and I'm sure as we get closer to publication, the Mindy Kaling of it all is going to start being more and more of a factor, you know, as we do promotion and that sort of thing. But uh, up till now, it's just been a very normal, albeit quick process of, you know, editing and editing again and again and trying to figure out how best to market it and all of those pretty, you know, standard publishing steps. But you have a letter in the front of your galley that she wrote, and she mentions Back to the Future in that letter. She does. And yes, and that getting to see the Mindy Kaling introduction, the fact that on the product page, she's listed as like a co-author with me. That's all very surreal. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and I'm not surprised. I think a lot of people will get the Back to the Future vibes. He even references Back to the Future. You know, I said it in 1985, which is the year that Back to the Future came out. and. It would have been out at the time that the book is set, but it would still be in theaters. So not everyone would have seen it. It would not be the cultural like touchstone that it is now. And so it, it's, a, it's funny because my characters are actually contemporary with that movie, but the one who knows it the best is the one from the future who's seen it multiple times and not just, oh yeah, that movie came out a couple of months ago. Yes, they're probably like, why does he keep focusing on this movie? It's so new. I don't know that much about it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's not it's not heavy-handed referencing because he's not, you know, I didn't want him to be this like giant time travel nerd. So he doesn't know much, but he knows Back to the Future. He's seen it before because I think like I did a lot of asking my kids when I was writing this, do you know what this is? Would your friends know what this is? And so I asked, I was like, Have mo- do most of your friends know what Back to the Future is? And they were like, oh yeah, we've all seen Back to the Future. So I was like, yeah, that's a pretty standard thing for teenagers today to have seen, even though it came out in the 80s. And so, and I also have, there's a bunch of Back to the Future Easter eggs, but hopefully they're they're not too heavy handed. So they're not pulling people out of it, but it's not a shocker that she picks up on that. Absolutely. Well, how did you decide on your character names? I'm always fascinated with how authors choose character names and what names can signal. You know, names are funny. So Justin... Justin came to me because I have never met a Justin I didn't like. I have known numerous Justins in my life and every single one of them I've always I've always enjoyed. And so I was like I need to name my character something that at least for me I have a positive association with because I'm going to put this poor kid through so much. I wanted to give him a name with good vibes for me. And so that's really where that came from. Rose I honestly don't know where her name came from. She was just always Rose. It just appeared in my head. And that was really the case with a lot of them. I was thinking of their personalities and I was thinking of what I want, what they would look like. And 
they they just sort of appeared. Like Lisa was always Lisa. Noah was always Noah. Carl was always Carl. And I can't really say why. I just had a I had a vibe that I was going for. I don't like to use the names of specific people I know. Justin was kind of an exception, but that's sort of because he's not based on any one Justin I've known. I've just known a lot of them. <laughs> and and they've all been good. And so he was more of an amalgamation. But the other, I don't name I don't name main characters after people I know well because I don't want them to influence the way I write the character too much. The only one I spent a significant amount of time like wrestling over his name was Sean. I wanted to evoke a certain like type of person with him. And I did like look at popular boy names for he would have been born in like 1968. So I was like, what were people being named? I didn't want to go with something super common, but still like I wanted this very like likable, charismatic I, I compare him in the book to Matt Dillon. I felt like 80s Matt Dillon vibe. And so I was like, what's what's a good name that gives someone that vibe? Because that's one that didn't come to me immediately that I actually like went through lists of names looking for. But the others just kind of popped into my head. And I did then go back and I was like, were people naming their kids Char- Charlene in 1968? And yes, you know, people name their kids just about anything in any time period. But yeah, and then I have some some of some surnames are are nods to real figures like uh, Lisa's mother, Diane, who's running for office. Her last name is Lewis. And I named her for John Lewis, you know, such an important figure in civil rights. And because I wanted to give her something that meant something, there's a character named Michael McMillan, who's a janitor in the school. And he's the one that we learned early on was the one that this fire that killed Justin's grandparents was blamed on in the future. But, you know, Justin says early on, we're not sure that's actually what happened. And so he's named for a man named Walter McMillan, who is his case was profiled in the book Just Mercy, where he was a he was a black man who was wrongfully convicted for a crime he did not commit. And so there are some some historical figures that get nodded to Rose's last name of Yin. Um, Yin is a very common Chinese surname, but uh, she was actually, her last name was for some very good friends of my grandparents, who just when I started writing her character, I had just visited them in at the time they were living in assisted living. And I looked on their calendar and they had big block letters, dinner with the yins. And I just remember, I was like, oh yeah, the yins. And I was like, I think that's her name. So there are a few, there are a few little nods to real people. Well, names do have such connotations, you know, so if you think about different names and who you associate them with, and as soon as you said Walter McMillan, I was like, oh, I remember that from Just Mercy. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned your timetable being quicker with going with Mindy's Book Studio. Tell me a little bit about that. So typically from, you know, an editor acquiring a book for their publishing house or imprint to the time the book comes out is... I I think a typical timeline be 18 to 24 months around there. My book was acquired at the beginning of April 2022 and is coming out at the beginning of April 2023. So I had one year. So it, it's, it's fast. I had very fast um, round of edits. I think a typical first round of edits in traditional publishing, you know, you tend to have a couple months to turn it around. I had three weeks. And so, 
just things like that. Each phase was faster than it typically goes. But again, once I, I work well with deadlines, I do not work well without them. So, you know, recently I had a conversation um, with someone that was saying, well, how long will this take you to do? And I said, well, it depends. If left to my own devices, it will take me approximately 10 years. And if I have a deadline, I can probably get it done in a couple months, you know? So I, I, because once I know someone's expecting this from me by this time, I can put my head down and really work fast. But when I don't have that, I have a hard time focusing. So the fast timetable worked for me. I mean, those three weeks were very full. You know, I was working constantly. But at the same time, I think I probably would have done that anyway if they'd given me longer, just because I wouldn't have wanted to come up against the deadline and not have it done. And so I, I tend to sort of hyper focus until a thing is done if I know someone is waiting on it. And so it was fast, but I think for me, it was fine. I've never really actually felt super rushed at any point in this process. The only part where the deadline became a problem was my round three of edits came in right when I got COVID for the first time. Oh, no. And they said, we need this back. And round three is fairly is is fairly light in terms of edits. But there were like a couple of scenes that needed rewriting and then just a few other small notes. And I could feel my brain just going with that COVID fog. And so they had given me, I think, a week, but I think I did it within the first three days and sent it in. And I said, I don't, I don't know if this is good enough, but it's not going any better than this. Like I did as much as I could before my brain totally went and now it's gone. And so I sent it in and my editor said, no, this is great. Yet you address the notes, you're, you're done. And then later when I got my like proofreading pages back and I looked over it, I was like, I do not remember writing. This. <laughs> so I was like, they work. So apparently my, my subconscious took the wheel with the COVID brain. But yeah, that was one where I was like, oh, it would have been nice to have longer so I could actually not have COVID while I was doing these edits. But it worked out. Fortunately, I guess I knew the characters well enough by that time and their voices that I could kind of do it while my brain was only on backup mode. And but yeah, there were definitely scenes in there that I had no memory whatsoever of writing. And if you'd have asked me what happened in them, I couldn't have told you until I reread them. Okay, that is too funny. (laughs) And is she putting out a book a month? Do you know? No, no. The first book from Indie's Book Studio in December was The Vibrant Years by Sonali Dev. And, you know, and that's a that's a lovely multi-generational story of family and love. And it's, you know, it's funny. It's very different than than mine. But Sonali is lovely. And she she blurbed my book, actually. But then and then I'm the next one. I'm the first debut. So, you know, December to April. So what we have four months in between. And then the next one, I don't believe is until at least the summer, it might even be the fall. I can't remember what the publishing dates are on the next one. So there is each one is several months apart. That's interesting. I was curious how she was doing that. And I had seen that she had done Sonali's and I hadn't seen another since then. So that makes more sense because that would be a very quick timeline if you were doing one a month, especially trying to turn stuff around quickly. Yeah. And they're like every, every person I've dealt with at Mindy's book studio has been so thoughtful and so intentional about wanting to do this right and wanting to give every book their best possible chance. And because Mindy's book studio is 
you know, was conceived as a way to really support and champion diverse and marginalized authors in telling stories featuring diverse and marginalized characters. And, you know, historically, those books have not been given the, the best shot. Some managed to break out and do wonderfully well. But, you know, for each one of those, there's so many that, that you know, kind of fell through the cracks. And so I think with Mindy's book studio, she really wanted to make one where all of the books are championed and kind of given that sort of lead title treatment. I don't know if that's the long-term plan going forward. Like, shockingly, she has not shared her business plan with me. What is she thinking? (laughs) I know, right? Why doesn't she just run her entire business plan by her debut author? I can't imagine why. I can't either. (laughs) But I do know, like, I've met, I've met the first, the authors of the first four books that are being published by Mindy's Book Studio. And everyone is lovely, everyone, and everyone is very happy with how their book has been treated. And I don't know that that they would be able to offer that with, you know, trying to put out a book a month. For sure. I do agree with that. Well, the title caught my eye because I love the song by Modern English, I Melt With You. I'm assuming the line comes from that, or is that not right? It does. It does come from that. But it's funny because I didn't title the book until I had finished writing it. Um, I am bad at titles. I have other friends that won't even start writing a book until they have the title. But I would rather write an entire book than find a title for it. And I did. And then I was like, okay, I really do need a title for this before I send it to my agent. Because I don't think Lauren's time travel book is going to cut it. And so I was racking my brain, like looking through the book, trying to find lines that stood out. Nothing jumped out to me as title worthy. And I was on Twitter and I saw a tweet from Eric Smith who talked about how he had retitled one of his more recent books. I don't remember what the original title was, but he had retitled it, You Can Go Your Own Way after the song. And I was, and I went, oh, a song lyric. That would be interesting. Cause I knew you couldn't put song lyrics in a book, but you can put, you can use them as a title because you can't copyright a title. And so I started going through, I said, well, I've got this period book that takes place in the 80s. So a song that evokes the 80s would be great for a title. So I started going through lists of what was on the radio in 1985, looking at a bunch of song titles, seeing if any sort of pinged me in that part of my brain. And when I came across I Melt With You by Modern English, I went, oh, that might be the right vibe. And so I looked at the lyrics to refresh my mind on those. And as I was looking through the lyrics, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. The like, I feel like this could really apply to my book. And then I Googled, like, what do the lyrics mean? Because I had an idea and I started reading about the meaning behind the lyrics. And I, the more I learned about the song, the more I was like, yes, this is it. This is this is my book. And I wound up going back and writing a scene where the characters are listening to that song on the radio. Of course, I never mentioned it by name, but it's very clear what song they're listening to and talking about what it means, because I just thought it was so fitting for the themes of the book. And actually, it's funny because Modern English did a lockdown cover of that song during COVID um, that they filmed remotely and put up on YouTube. So that was an additional funny thing about it because that's the version version in the book that Justin says he's heard. He heard the the COVID cover. I guess not cover, it's still their song, the COVID version of the song, whereas Rose heard the original radio single. So I also thought that was appropriate in that there are these two different versions of the same song by the same band that were performed almost with the time difference between them that Rose and Justin exist in their main timelines. 
Well, I've always loved that song so much, and it definitely is very reminiscent of the 80s. And I just recently discovered a cover by another band that I love, Bowling for Soup, and they do a great cover of that song. So I've been listening to it a lot lately, and it kind of was bringing it back, and then it was the title of your book, and I thought, well, I have to read that book because I have been listening to this song all the time. Oh, I haven't heard that cover, but I will definitely look it up probably as soon as we get off recording this. (laughs) Yeah, it's really good. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to hear what you've read recently that you really liked, Lauren. So I've been on a bit of a horror kick lately. There's a horror book coming out tomorrow as of the date we're recording this, but it'll already be out uh, when the episode airs um, called She is a Haunting by Trang Than Tran. That is about a Vietnamese American girl who goes to a house in Vietnam that her father is turning into a bed and breakfast that she realizes is haunted. And so that's that's very good, very atmospheric um, and creepy. And I loved it. On the other side of the spectrum, I recently read and loved Lunar Love by Lauren Kung Jessen, who's another 2023 debut. Her book came out in January, and it's about rival matchmakers who each use the Chinese Zodiac. And I was really drawn to that because, first of all, Lauren lives here in Nashville and is also named Lauren and is also half Chinese. And I was like, how do we not know each other? (laughs) So um, we met for coffee one day and realized we actually have quite a bit in common. But both of the main characters, both both of these rival matchmakers are mixed race Chinese American. Um, And she said, you know, I did that because I don't see books that have people like me as the main characters, much less both of the main characters. So she's like, so I was like, no one else is going to write it. I'm going to write it. And, you know, Rose is also half Chinese because of the same reason. I was saying, you know, I I never see and I'm not saying they haven't been written. It's just typically in the books that I read. It's it's very rare for me to find a mixed race Chinese main character. And so I wrote one for that reason. And she wrote two. And so that's a just a delightful rom-com. It's very much in the spirit of You've Got Mail if You've Got Mail was set in modern times and about rival matchmakers. <laughs> I remember seeing that one all over Instagram. Oh, it's delightful. It deserves every bit of praise it's getting. Okay, I may have to pick it up. I'm not a huge rom-com reader, but I do occasionally read them, and that one sounds like it could be intriguing. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining me in the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting about I'll Stop the World. Thank you so much for having me. It was delightful to be here. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. So
Science, science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes. Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.